You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Coaching Inn. Today, I'm in the good company of my colleague, Kirsty Elderton, from Down Under in Australia, or local if you're one of our Australian listeners. And Kirsty and I wanted to have a chat about disaster ethics. But Kirsty, first of all, welcome and just give us give our listeners a sense of who you are and where you've come from. Oh, where I've come from. That's an, a funny question, Claire. Um, hi, it's lovely to be here. Um, so I've been coaching for, gosh, um, must be about 12 plus years now. Um, and I've been working with Claire and the team at 3G for most of that time um, in various different roles and guises. But more recently, um, have been working um, running my own practice in partnership with 3D and also um, I'm a consultant at a management consulting firm and lead our design practice so do lots of co-design um, lots of design research and all of those types of conversations include um, thinking about ethics ethical frameworks and conversations in partnership so I sort of think of my coaching practice really sitting at the intersection of lots of different things, um, pure coaching at one end and a more kind of integrated approach at the other end. And where I've come from is a bit of a plotted history, Hull via London to Melbourne and a few other places in between. So, uh, but been living here in Melbourne now for seven years. Yeah, amazing. Can't mm. believe it. Gone Feels... by in a blink. Yeah, yeah. Well, where did you get the idea of the, of the, of the, phrase disaster ethics Kirsty. So I'm really lucky Claire because one of the um, one of the spaces that I work in in the co-design space at that more integrated end of coaching is in health mental health and social care and this phrase disaster ethics was given to me by a practitioner actually a medical practitioner and who was talking about how medical professionals make decisions um, at time of disaster and crisis. So if you think about the global pandemic, for example, hospitals, health centers making all sorts of difficult decisions about if we're, if we're overflowed with patients, um, who do we let in, who do we treat, who don't we? And the whole principle of that, um, of the, disaster ethics kind of frame of looking at the world really is that you have those really difficult conversations the really complex thinking that needs to go into making those decisions beforehand because yeah. in the crisis our thinking is not as clear as it should be our biases are all at play and there's pressures political pressures personal pressures um and it's really difficult to do clear, good thinking in those moments. And so medical, this is a really familiar term for medical practitioners. They think about this way of working and have pre-thought um, pre out decisions about where healthcare goes. And I thought it's a really interesting way of thinking and working. And it lends itself to coaching because sometimes 
you know, we find ourselves in a conversation where we butt up against an ethical decision. And in the moment, we have to make a call. And if we haven't done that thinking beforehand, um, are we making the right call in the right way based on solid foundations, rigorous thinking? And um, it it got me thinking actually about those, um, you know, pretty well understood now, but the fight, flight, freeze, and some people add the kind of fawn F onto that. And in those moments, you know, we can really revert to type and it means that you don't do your really good thinking. So this idea of expecting, pre-planning, thinking about what those things are in advance and having a bit of a pathway or some breadcrumbs laid out to follow, I think is a really helpful way of thinking about ethics, which can sometimes feel a bit nebulous and a bit fluffy and a bit hard to grapple with. I like that. And as you're talking, I think there's a few, there's a, there's different areas, aren't there? Because one is a kind of generic disaster. Because mm. there are generic, there are generic things that are likely to happen from time to time, generally in coaching conversations. And then there's yep. specific ethics, aren't there, that relate to the kind of context that you work in and the kind of people that you work with. Yeah, I think that's right, Claire. And in my experience, I'm not, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The the generic things tend to be the things that are a little bit easier to grapple with. How are you working? How are you contracting? How are you managing to set expectations? Um, it's more when the curveball comes, yeah. it's a bit trickier to handle. Yeah. And sometimes even if you've done the planning and the preparing, a curveball can come. And so... I think it's those specific situations. So if you work with young people, for example, what are the ethical dilemmas, decisions, situations that you might face that it's useful to do a bit of pre-thinking in so we don't get caught in that fright, flight, freeze mode and make a bad call? Yeah. Yeah. And then again, it, it... Because there's context. Do I work in finance? Do I work in risk management? Do I work in this? And then there's the kind of people, and as you say, young people, also people who are experiencing mental health challenges Mm -hmm. is another another place to do that pre-thinking, isn't it? Yep. So if we took a work, if we worked an example through. Yep. Which one shall we work through? I want to take a vote here from our listeners, but we don't have a phone in. So (laughs) (laughs) we should get one. (laughs) Yeah, we should, shouldn't we? So should we work through young people? Yep. Yep. So if we think out loud together, what are the kind of things that might come up with with young people? I wonder. I mean, a few of the obvious things that jump to mind for me, Claire, would be the whole gamut of mental health issues that young people are experiencing more today than perhaps ever before, particularly after the last couple of years. And so if a young person presents and discloses self-harm, for example, um, insert other condition here or multiple conditions, 
Um, and the other one that jumps out for me with young people particularly is the role of parents, families, advocates, um, wanting to be involved or wanting to know what's being discussed. Yeah. There are a couple that jump to mind. Yes, and another one that comes in for me is how old is the young person that you're working with? Mm, and in order yep. to and in order to work with them in your country, what checks do you have to have in place in order for that to be safe in your context? So in the UK, I think if they're under 18, you need to have a, a DBS, don't you? A, what does working DBS? Yes, yeah, so working with children clearance. Yep. Yep. And that whole um, regulatory kind of compliance framework, Claire, that you're describing there is um, it. I'm so I'm offering this tentatively, I think, because it makes me a bit nervous um, because coaching itself is very unregulated gives me fear that people don't actually think through the regulatory responsibilities yeah. and have a really clear understanding of what their um, responsibilities are for, um, for young people under the age of 18, for example. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, you know, there's freedom in unregulated and there's huge risk mm. in unregulated, isn't there? Yep. It was interesting because yeah. I was talking to somebody from a coach training organisation last week and, and they were saying, you know, people are telling us that our coaches need mental health first aid training and unconscious bias training and this and this and the other. And, and that's right. And also that doesn't necessarily mean we're safe to practice and it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to preload with all of them but we need to be aware about where our edges are and mm. where we go, where we do some good and deep work around it. And I think as I'm talking, it also makes me think about who does your coaching supervisor need to be based yep. on the space in which you operate. Yeah. And I, I, without, there's also something, Claire, about the coaching model that you're using, particularly if you're an internal coach within an organisation and who you're coaching and your proximity to them in the organisation. And, you know, that whole the model around who your client, who who your thinkers are and where your supervision comes from really needs careful thinking, I think and we assume sometimes that it's the team leader the manager the leader that coaches down um, and that may be okay in some circumstances some of the time but it's not okay in all circumstances all of the time and so the the speed that we jump to those conclusions is um is challenging I think yeah and actually if your supervision comes in an organization along with the coaching where do you do your ethical thinking which might mean that you need to hire somebody from time to time who's on the outside yeah. because they get a different view so you know for years and years uh you know 3d coaching has done a huge amount of work in the church of england for example yep um that's led now by sue uh 
that's not my space anymore much. But the interesting thing about that is that I intentionally, not this supervisor, but the one before, chose to go to somebody right outside the system in order that when I was talking about ethical stuff, they were not looking at it through any lens that I might be looking at it through. Yeah. Uh, and that's been a really useful thing because I, you know, my, my concern was that, that somebody who's in the same space as me wouldn't, wouldn't be able to help me look at the things yep. I was missing. And I think Claire on a, just on a local level with the with the folks that we train to be coaches over here in Australia one of the real value adds I think is that 3D are doing their mentor coaching yeah so they get different voice they get different input they get critique into their work and that diversity of thought um, within a similar contextual framework is really helpful so I work to ICF ethical standards, so do you. So we're working in a similar frame, but actually the fresh pair of eyes, the new way, a, a newish way of looking at things, the slight difference, um, I think makes a huge difference in the experience of our participants and the quality of coaches that we produce. I agree. And actually, we've got, we're on a slightly different track now, but I think it's probably useful to stay here and then we'll go mm. back to disaster ethics. So I always know who my next supervisor is going to be. Mm. And I have no intention of leaving my current supervisor at the moment, but I also know what's the difference I need in, from my next supervisor. Yeah. And, you know, when that comes, I might change my mind. But I've got plenty of time at the moment to think about that. Yeah. And actually, you know, there are reasons when you change supervisors. Sometimes it's because it feels like the right thing to do and you're choosing to do it. And sometimes it's because you have to. Mm. And actually knowing who that is, if, if you're going to have to change, is a, is a really good and useful thing to do, I think. Yeah. But it, it does, it sort of comes full circle in my mind, Claire, to that idea of disaster ethics, because... Um, I, I think it's useful to do that thinking with another person and your supervisor is a really useful person to do it with, either in the before, in the planning and deciding, or in the reflection after, how did it go? Did I get this quite right? Next time, am I going to do exactly the same or, I, or am I going to make some tweaks to my practice? The something isn't there in the doing that... <laughs> gives things a different feel and flavor and the reflection with someone else I think is really um it's pretty essential I think and yeah I worry that people think about that as a little bit optional I'm building off in another direction again because I'm now thinking also about disaster management which is mm. if you're a if you're a sole trader and a sole practitioner uh what are the things that you need to think about now that you will be able to roll into practice if you're sick or yep. whatever? Well, I think that one of the reasons that I think it's a useful kind of lens to look at this stuff is because it works on a kind of micro level individually with the client that you're working with, but it also works on that kind of macro level about how you 
run, organize your business, build your credentials, the presence that you have in the market with your with your potential clients. And that's equally as important. Um, and I, I, I put, I sort of had a sense that there's a, you know, in the, there must be a model here that helps me <laughs> bring some clarity to how this happens. Um, I did, there's a, there's an acronym for giving feedback called SCARF. I'm sure you've come across oh, it. Oh, yeah. But, um, and I, I reckon that there's a, there's the SCAR, S-C-A-R for this, which is the, what are the scenarios? What are your clients? What are your actions? And what are your reflections? Um, I really don't like SCAR as a word though. So we need to work on, <laughs> we need to work on that a bit. <laughs> Do email your alternatives to info at 3dcoaching.com, lovely people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just doing our thinking out loud here but there is something useful about thinking about those categories yeah. um and having a reflective process to revisit them yeah yeah so in our... it's so important isn't it to do it when it's not around a particular person mm-hmm. so one of the one of the things that you know disasters happen which are unexpected so when the war started between Russia and Ukraine I've been working in Russia so what's my ethical stance on that that wasn't something that I'd expected to have to think about and I thought about it deeply and made a decision after hours of talking and sleepless nights and all sorts of things. And then the ICF changed their view. Yeah. Uh, and the ICF, the International Coach Federation, uh, withdrew membership from Russian coaches. And then I had to make a different decision. So, you know, th- there's always the what do we do about the unprepared ones. But the thing that I noticed that was really bothering me was really great relationships with really lovely people and wanting to honour those. And it's the challenge, isn't it, between seeing the best in people and and it's mm. the difference between the individual, the group and society. And, it, you know, that's been a really tough journey. And I'm still, I'm, I made the decision that I made and I'm still, still not completely comfortable with it at all. Uh, Although interestingly, I got a message from some other coaches in Russia inviting me to do something a few weeks ago. And I had to say, I'm not able to say yes to this. And this is why. And they sent me back a lovely email saying we completely understand. Um, But then that made me feel bad. (laughs) Mm. Um, But yeah, we need to walk through scenarios and then there, we are always going to come across things that we haven't thought about. Yep. I do think, though, and I'm interested when you just talk through that example and I, I wonder if working through scenarios, almost any scenario, um, helps you know how you think about things. Yeah. So you know you you come to a conclusion on one thing but the 
the other piece of that is I've learned how I think about this. So when a curveball comes, you're just a little bit more fluent. It won't be perfect. You're not going to nail it first time. You're still, you know, there's still going to be a sleepless night. There'll still be some agonizing. But you're just a little bit more fluent in the how you think about these types of problems and weave it into your practice. And mine is personal loyalty. Yeah. And that's what makes it really hard. And that will show up again, won't it, in another context with another ethical dilemma. Yeah. And so much of this, I think, comes down to you're 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 reminding me of someone that I worked with for not very long. Um, And it was a values clash. And that that's kind of what all of these things get to at the heart, isn't it? It's values. I, I worked with someone who um, was going through career change um, and had two children, but didn't believe in education. So there, it, it wasn't a homeschooling situation. It was a no education situation. Life is the education. And for me, that that bright spark of learning is just like one of my values and I I just had to have the honest conversation with myself I cannot I cannot work with this person because I have all sorts of judgments about the decisions that you're making in your life Um, and it was a real tussle of values and so much I think is values are kind of what's at the heart of a lot of this Yes, I got one that's come into my mind. And mm. and actually, given that I said my thing was loyalty, it was a tussle between being loyal to somebody who I respected deeply and was doing some great work and really loved working with and the thing that they wanted to use the coaching for, which was a big clash for me of values. And in the end, we had to to go to, you know, to go our separate ways. And I think the thing that I learned from that was being absolutely honest about Mm -hmm. this, to say what I saw, which is I really love working with you. And I think that if the coaching is going to be about this, I don't feel that I'm going to be the right person for this piece of work. And I'm not going to be able to continue to work with you because you have to put the second half of the sentence in, don't you? Because if you only go, I don't think I'm the right person for this piece of work. And then they go, but you are. You go, well, that wasn't a very good exit conversation, was it? <laughs> oh, that's hard. But I often say to people on our in supervision, you know, the people we work with are our best teachers. And actually, mm. the people we work with are also the best teachers of ethics. But sometimes we need to have done a bit of pre-work. Yeah, well, and I, I think it's probably um, an iterative thing Claire that we we perhaps don't name enough because it is pre-work but it's reflection on that work in practice and you know in coaching we talk about kind of saying it out loud and and doing it now so that you get the sense of what it would be like to do it for real in a safe space Um, and that reflection and I think it's the same with this ethical stuff Um, there's the saying it there's the doing it and there's the oh now I've done it and that is a reflective practice I think that needs attention over time 
So there's something about my ethical style, isn't there? How do I, that's the bit to capture. What's my ethical style when it's not about an individual with a name and a face? Yep. Because that bit starts confusing. Interesting. So I guess my question to listeners is, what's the disaster ethics thing that you need to think about and where's your safe place for doing that and where's the safe place for doing it with people who get the area and where's your checking in place with somebody who doesn't who can perhaps ask questions from a from a different place well thank you Kirsty for that conversation um and I just need to be very honest with our listeners now Kirsty is going to be hosting the coaching in for the next few weeks. Uh, And this was a great way of talking about disaster ethics, but also inviting Kirsty to sit in my chair (laughs) and behind my microphone. Uh, Virtually. (laughs) Virtually. uh, Because I'm off for a walk. So... Kirsty, over to you. I give you the microphone. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I reckon, Claire, before we talk about um, what we might be doing um, while you're on your walk, tell us about your walk. So on the 30, whatever it is, next week, the last day of August, I'm flying to Bilbao in Spain. And on the 1st of September, four of us are setting out from the Guggenheim in Bilbao, and we are walking 600 kilometres, <laughs> heading towards Santiago de Compostela, carrying our as light as we can possibly make it. Let's hope it's there's water on the way, because on the days there isn't water on the way, we're going to have to carry all our water rucksacks. <laughs> yep. Six hundred kilometers yeah yeah <laughs> I don't want to add any more terror to the, <laughs> the thought of it Claire but that, that's a lot of kilometers it is and the first day's 18 miles if you go into into uh, imperial which is the, our longest day is day one yeah so I reckon if we can do day one we can do the rest uh, and we're going to be raising money for the Motor Neurone Disease Association. And we're hoping to raise £60,000. Wow. So is there a place people can go to support, find out more? What might that look like? Well, there is. And if you'd like to support us in any way, you can track our walk on justgiving.com slash Camina con amigos 600 so i'll put that in the show notes so it's Camina c-a-m-i-n-a-r con c-o-n amigos a-m-i-g-o-s 600 and Camina con amigos means walking with friends and uh so uh i'm walking with my great friend margaret and her brother-in-law andrew and his wife anne And we're doing it uh, in, well, for many reasons, we're doing it in memory of Margaret's husband um, and Andrew's brother, John, who died from motor neurone disease in 2019. Uh, We're doing it because John told us we had to. (laughs) 
<laughs> so he'll be very, sounds pretty clear <laughs> he'll be very present uh we're doing it because we walked uh we drove sorry we drove from Bilbao to Santiago in 2018 or 2017 on a on a holiday uh Margaret and John and me and my husband drove the whole thing because John wanted to do it and he wasn't able to walk and then we met Andrew and Anne in the cathedral square in Santiago because they'd done a bit of the Portuguese way and if you look on the Just Giving page there's the most amazing photograph that somebody took of us uh, in a hilly street in Santiago where we'd borrowed a wheelchair from the hotel uh, because John was really struggling on a walker and and he'd got to that moment where a wheelchair was going to be necessary and we were going up this really steep hill so Andrew started pushing the wheelchair and then he said this is too hard so in the end all of us are pushing this wheelchair up the hill and this guy walking past said I have to take a photo so there's this beautiful photograph uh and yes so so we'll be walking in memory and uh as an awareness raiser and because we want to and all of those things so there's going to be um, lots of moments, lots of memories, Claire, it sounds like. Yeah. And, you know. And fun. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's better to travel, hopefully, than arrive is a phrase that I'm taking with me. <laughs> my luxury is my journal and my perfect pen. Margaret's luxury yep. is a lipstick. I might regret my <laughs> journal and my perfect pen. <laughs> well, you can always swap. Because her lipstick <laughs> is lighter than my journal. <laughs> I might have to send pages home. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, while you are doing that, we are going to have um, a slightly different take on things at the coaching in. So we are, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are going to... Um, my practice is probably a little bit more at the intersection of other things. And so we're going to pick up on that theme and look at coaching at the intersection of other leadership qualities. And um, I'm sure regular listeners, Claire, or people that have um, done anything to do with 3D or simply coaching at any point will have heard either me or you fangirl a little bit about Brene Brown <laughs> at some point. Are you interviewing I... her? <laughs> oh, I wish. No. Please, um... <laughs> please don't tell me that I'm going to Spain and you're going to interview <laughs> Brene Brown. I feel like I might just need to lower expectations <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> no, um, we're going to take her leadership attributes that she talks about in Dare to Lead, which are courage, empathy, trust, innovation, uh, creativity. There's a whole bunch of them. And we're going to... Um, interview people who embody that leadership trait characteristic and also operate at the intersection of coaching and we're going to explore each one super deeply with lots of stories lots of anecdote and um, picking up on that kind of famous phrase about what it means to be in the arena um, with courage with empathy etc etc so I'm hoping that that is going to be um, a really I, I hope it's going to be a thought provoking and a and a little bit of a provocative type of uh, provocative types of conversations really to help us think about our own style our own practice and what we can learn from these folks who are 
um, living and practicing these values in some challenging, difficult situations. So we'll be talking with people who work particularly in climate change, for example, in the justice system. And so these are folks at the front line, probably folks that you wouldn't have heard of, but are doing the work every day. And it's in the doing, as we talked about earlier, that there's so much learning. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of provocation, a lot of stories and a lot of reflection on what that might mean for us in terms of how we show up in our role as coaches, leaders, managers, whatever, whatever world it is that you occupy where you're applying these skills. So looking forward to it. Sounds amazing. I'm not going to listen in from Spain because I want to save my pages in my journal. In that case, we are definitely interviewing Brene Brown and you'll be none the wiser. I'll listen in when I get back. And I'll be back at my desk in the middle of October. Well, thank you for trusting us with the reins while you're off. Um, we'll what, you, you and Brene? Keep, yeah. <laughs> we'll do our best to keep, uh, keep things on track for you. And follow the, um, maybe we'll, we might find a little section to do a Claire's walk update somehow, Claire. We'll work out what that might look like as well. Oh, that sounds great. want to track it. So you'll be able to pick that up from Just Giving if we get, when we have internet, because we're, yep. we're going to um, sync the, we also have a Facebook group, which is also called Camino Con Amigos 600. And we will be updating, or somebody will be updating for us there with pictures and tales well, Which, we'll definitely we'll pick up and find a little moment to update folks on how you're going. Well, thank you very much. Just going to have a silence there because I think you should finish. I'll take this bit out. I think you should finish. I think you should say, so I'm Kirsty and I've been talking to Claire at the Coaching Inn. Okay. Just that. So I'm Claire. Oh, no. I <laughs> Claire. <laughs> you may want to take that bit out. Could you have bloopers? <laughs> and breathe. So thank you for listening. I'm Kirsty and I've been talking with Claire at the Coaching Inn and looking forward to uh, talking with you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.